international shareholders who are extremely angry at, at what's been going on. And, you know, they may understand, yeah, okay, there's pressure from the government, reforms are going to happen, but from the shareholder's perspective, it sh- the response should still not be happening this way. And so I, I would be shocked if we don't see one. Mm. It also makes you wonder, here in Hong Kong, we've seen, for example, a financial inspector appointed by the government to investigate Next Digital because it wasn't looking after shareholders' rights properly. You would almost think, well, here there's a case for having a financial inspector to in, uh, investigate what's going on with these companies that are giving away their profits because that for sure is such a, a blatant breach of the fiduciary duties to shareholders. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it certainly seems that way to me. Um, whether or not that kind of oversight ever happens, I, I would probably be a little bit skeptical. <laughs> I, I think there's just there's too much going on behind closed doors right now, and I think that you know all of these companies know that you know once they reach a certain size or a certain profile, um, they need to be shown to be doing the right thing and falling in line as far as this whole common prosperity discussion goes. And if if they don't, they're going to be in even more trouble. So looking at it from that angle. They, they may be doing the right thing, but it still is a bitter taste for, for your average shareholder. Yeah, and I suspect there's going to be more. Ben, always good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. That's Ben Cavender, Managing Director at the China Market Research Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is the only market in Asia that's rising at the moment. It's up 1.5%, more uh, headwinds from uh, from the resignation of Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga. Tailwind, I should say. But elsewhere, st- stocks are falling. In Australia, the ASX 200 is down 1% right now. The Cosby in South Korea is also off about 0.1%. And looks like the Hang Seng is going to fall about 40 or 50 points or so at the open. Thanks very much for listening this morning. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse in just a moment. The weather forecast, mainly fine, very hot during the day. Maximum temperature of about 33 degrees. There is a very hot weather warning in force. The outlook is for a few showers tomorrow. Hot with sunny periods in the middle and latter parts of this week. 29 degrees right now, 81% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Todd Harding with the Half Hour News. The parent company of defunct newspaper Apple Daily has announced that all of its directors have resigned. Joanne Wong reports. In a stock exchange filing, Next Digital says the four members of its board of directors, including Chairman Ip Yet Kin, are stepping down to protect shareholders, creditors, employees and former employees. The directors say they've concluded that an orderly liquidation would serve the best interests of shareholders, creditors, staff and other stakeholders. They say that they've been banned from approving payments for creditors and staff and hope that the government will allow liquidators to do so. The company added that the trading of its shares will continue to be suspended until further notice. Soldiers in Guinea have ousted President Alpha Conde in a coup. Appearing on national television, the head of Guinea's special forces, Colonel Mamadi Doumbouya, said they had dissolved the government and the constitution. We decided after taking the president who's currently with us to dissolve the current constitution and institutions. We also decided to dissolve the government and close the land and air borders. The Afghan resistance leader Ahmed Massoud, who's been waging an intense battle against the Taliban to stop them taking control of Panjshir province, has said he's willing to enter peace talks. The BBC's Jill McGivering reports. 
Ahmed Massoud posted on Facebook saying he supported a plan put forward by religious clerics for a negotiated settlement. He called on the Taliban to end its military offensive in the area, saying his force, the National Resistance Front, was ready to stop fighting immediately to achieve peace. On Sunday, reports from Panjshir suggested the Taliban was gaining ground and even entered the provincial capital. The Panjshir Valley is naturally fortified with a narrow gorge and steep mountains, but now an end to the bloodshed may be in sight. You're listening to the news on RCHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. On today's Backchat, we're looking at developments uh, in the mainland, uh, the notion of common prosperity, bans on children spending hours on playing video games, tighter regulation of technology firms and other sectors that one commentator in state media has called a profound revolution. What's going on? How far will it go? How will it work? And what will be the likely impact on Hong Kong? We'll be talking to some experts, and if you want to join in, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, or email us at backchat at rthk.hk. After 9.15, we'll be looking back at the Paralympic Games in Tokyo. Uh, joining us uh, this morning for our main discussion, we have uh, Alan Long, co-convener of the Path of Democracy, Professor Jean-Pierre Cabestan, research professor at Hong Kong Baptist University, and uh, Joseph Gregory Mahoney, a professor of politics and director of the International Graduate Programme in Politics at East China Normal University. Um, good morning to you all. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps uh, uh, Professor Cabestan, if we can start with you. Hello, good morning. Are you hello, there? Hello, good morning. Yes, How are you? hello, hello. Uh, thanks for joining us. So, so w- w- what is your assessment of, uh, of all these uh, uh, quite major developments that we've been seeing uh, on the mainland? Now, uh, maybe let me just uh, first of all look at the bigger picture. I think there are three main reasons for Xi Jinping to uh, go ahead with all those measures you've mentioned and many others, which, in my view, are all going in the same direction. First of all, the party wants to, re- to remain ahead of the curve. Uh, no force uh, external of the party can uh, jeopardize the party's leadership. And the common prosperity uh, slogan is a very good way of uh, staying ahead and, and making sure that the party is going to remain in the driving seat, not only as far as politics is concerned, but also the economy, society, and so on. The second reason is, uh, has to do with Xi Jinping. And Xi Jinping, of course, is not elected, uh, the way we understand an election outside of China, uh, but he's uh, sort of uh, involved now, um, started a presidential campaign ahead of the Congress next year. He wants to make sure that he's going to be reappointed uh, Secretary General of the party and uh, the following year, President of the uh, People's Republic. So that's the second reason that he's uh, sort of uh, uh, gathering a lot of people around him and, and uh, to, to support his, uh, you know, his extension in, in power. And the third reason, I would say, has to do with the international environment. Uh, we're in a kind of new Cold War with the West and, China and the U.S. in particular. So it's good for, for the party to sort of unify the, the society and the people around some what I would call a populist uh, objectives. Uh, common prosperity is aimed at reducing inequalities, um, uh, putting pressure on the rich and the powerful outside of the party, of course. 
and the crackdown on the rich, the crackdown on the after-school tutoring, the crackdown on the movie stars, they all, uh, they all go in the same direction, is to please the have-nots in the society and make sure that the party, uh, and, and uh, assure them that the party is uh, uh, protecting their interests and uh, is, um, you know, putting, as it, the party says, the, the, the people at the center of its uh, strategy. So I think, now, the question is whether all these is a new cultural revolution, uh, myself, argued, and, and some people say, as uh, the commentator you just mentioned, say that it's a, it's a new revolution, or whether it's less than that. And, um, and I think the jury is maybe still out. Uh, as we know, there is a debate within the party, someone like Hu Xitin, uh, the, uh, the chief editor of the Global, Global Times, has started to criticize this commentator named uh, Li, Li Guangman. And uh, so it shows, in my view, and I will just add my, my, add my, my primary comment on that, there is some, I guess there, is some, there are some divisions within the party, within the party leadership of, you know, what kind of direction the party should take and how far should it go in cracking down on the rich and the powerful, which have been uh, the steam engine, I would say, mm. the private businesses have been the steam engine of the Chinese economy in the last 20 years and 40 years, maybe. How, how, but how surprised should we be, really, about the uh, sharing the wealth a bit more, uh, bearing in mind that that was sort of inherent, wasn't it, in Deng's original comment about it's okay for some people to get rich first, and they, yep. the follow-on from that must be, but later on we'll make sure everyone moves up. Yes, I mean, there are real issues, uh, and, and that's why there are, different, there are two ways of reading what's going on. Uh, one way is saying yes. I mean, the, the party and the government they need to regulate the uh, the uh, tech companies. Uh, they they need to put some limits to uh, what you know how much money they 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 they're going to, to they make, they're making. Uh, and there are increasing inequalities. I mean, the Gini coefficient of China is very high, uh, not only for income but also in terms of wealth. There's been some studies, recent published uh, published studies on that, which are showing that, uh, that that China is really part of the countries where inequalities are the most uh, obvious, and uh, and uh, and it's becoming an issue. It's becoming an right. issue because it's getting uh, much harder to to succeed in the Chinese society today uh, than, than 20 years ago. So uh, people are getting more frustrated, so there are frustrations wrong, and uh, the party uh, is maybe right to, 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 to start dealing with those frustrations instead of waiting isn't, isn't until it, they explode. Isn't the sort yep. of thing normally dealt with by, by taxation? Yes, I mean, that, that's the, the, the answer. I mean, that's what the, the, the proposal made by a number of commentators. That instead of um, uh, forcing... The, 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 the big companies to, to give to charities you know, uh, and we don't know on, on what basis and what criteria, what criteria should be used to, to, to give the nation to, to, uh, to charities a, a, a more sensible taxation system will be much uh, much more uh, sustainable and better in order to, and something which I haven't mentioned yet but I'm sure it's part of the discussion is to manage to, to, to finance the um, social safety net which needs right. to be improved everywhere in China, and the problem is, as you know, it's it's not it's it's not managed by the central government, but by the local authorities at the provincial and even the sub-provincial level, the city level, actually most of the time. So, uh, and, and there, they, you need more more more, more incomes and more, more so more taxation. It means not only taxing the companies but also the individuals, and the, you know, the income tax in China, in China is uh, is not imposed to a lot of people, and uh, and, well, and, and not, not paid by some. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> so that's the, the, 
these issues need to be uh, dealt with, but it, it will take time. And it doesn't seem to be the, 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 the priority of the government to sort of re revise the taxation system at this stage, but more to force companies to give to the nations uh, as a show of solidarity with the society, you know, which is... But it, so that's why, I mean, what worries me here in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in all these uh, announcements that it boils down to a new campaign, you know, a campaign rather than, um, you know, um, sensible uh, government decisions to, 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 to reform. Uh, a campaign is something the party has been used to, but it doesn't provide um, stability, and, and, uh, and it's very hard for businesses uh, to make decisions when, when a campaign is launched, but it's... It introduces a lot of uncertainty about the future and, and businesses, they want certainty, they want stability. Okay, uh, Professor Joseph Gregory-Mahoney, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So I suppose um, one of the big questions is uh, in terms of uh, 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 wealth uh, redistribution um, and income disparity, I mean, uh, how do you improve the situation while keeping the economy um, buzzing along? You know, I, I would add a, a couple of points. I agree largely with with uh, the previous comments, but I, I would say that, that there are a couple of other things that, that should be taken into consideration um, uh, in tandem with, with trying to answer your question. And the first is, you know, it's this is a year, yes, absolutely right ahead of, of uh, you know, Xi Jinping wanting to prepare politically for whatever comes next. But this is a year where we're seeing uh, the Chinese economy really outperforming the rest of the world. And I think that some of these policies that they're, that they're putting in place now, they think that they can uh, not only afford to do it this year um, uh, because they're, they're, they've got these extraordinary growth rates, uh, but also because they have these tremendous FDI uh, foreign direct infl uh, investment inflows um, that are going to help them uh, offset and, you know, I've been, I've been reading a lot of the um, analyses from uh, Goldman Sachs, uh, Morgan Stanley, uh, uh, Nomura. And, um, you know, at the same time, you see all the, the criticism in the popular press and concerns about what this means for the Chinese economy. And um, with Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, and I don't want to talk about proprietary reports, but, but they're largely optimistic. They say, you know, in the short term, this is going to be a little painful. But this, this really speaks to longer-term uh, shoring up of the middle class, strengthening the middle class, expanding the middle class. Um, and so it's going to make China a much more attractive uh, target for longer-term investment. And this is really you know, encouraging even more FDI right now. Nomura out of, uh, out of uh, Japan, however, uh, is, is concerned um, with you know, the, the, this new effort now to break the property bubble once and for all. And, you know, this is something that's failed repeatedly. Uh, they, they've, they've, they've tried to do many policies now to, do, to, to rectify this, and, it, and they haven't succeeded. But Nomura's uh, worried that, uh, that this will cause a hit uh, that will ripple across the international economy, or the, the global economy, that China will be able to absorb that hit, but that it will have negative effects that other countries, Japan, United States, Europe, won't be able to, to sustain in this period, and that it will push even more money out of the West and into uh, China. So I think this is another uh, sort of strategic economic um, uh, uh, change. Now, whether or not it's going to really rectify uh, inequality, whether or not it's really going to reverse the Gini coefficient, that's a really good question. Uh, and I agree with the concern that, you know, we're not seeing a comprehensive uh, reform of the tax code. And it's it just more campaign-like. 
Doesn't this pull in the opposite direction? What you said about calming the property market at last and tackling it, but at the local level, it's property that's giving the local governments their revenue, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's part of it. You know, this is, I think, uh, uh, you know, when we go back to the old factional politics that were really driving um, uh, sort of the, the gridlock before Xi Jinping took power, um, uh, you know, this was this. There were these entrenched property interests that really went back to the to Jiang Zemin, the third generation of leadership. And you know, we've seen uh, step by step these attempts. In local areas, we've seen it in Beijing with uh, the Jingjing uh, uh, Ji uh, strategy of actually trying to break up these major developments and, and put highways to to sort of break up these entrenched, like actual property interests to, in, in, in very specific locales. And it's been very hard to do. Um, and uh, and uh, you know, so they, they've you know they, they've uh, they've stair stepped that we saw here uh, two or three years ago. Uh, you know, after we had that, that bad fire in Beijing with the zoning stuff. So then we, we started seeing this intense effort to tackle the problem uh, sort of sideways by, by strict um, uh, zoning um, uh, enforcement. Uh, and, and we actually had a, a major protest in, in Shanghai that was, that was uh, quickly corralled. Uh, because it was, you know, uh, imposing zoning in ways that were that were really affecting, so you know, uh, commercial and, and, and housing. Um, so all of this is is something that they've been struggling with for many years, and it is entrenched at the local level. And I think I think that that's really precisely the point with the tax code. You know, that would require because it, it, all those things are handled at the local level. It would require a sort of comprehensive approach that Beijing is simply unable to do at this moment. So. Um, we're going to try this top-down approach. It's going to be more like a campaign because we can't go bottom-up yet and because we'll get more propaganda value out of it. You know, um, people are unhappy with, with uh, some of the major firms, and they, they, they're unhappy with, you know, problems like uh, 996 and, and all these other issues. So it, it really plays to that, that popular opinion. Um, but, I, I, and, you know, I, I think the same thing with, with some of the reforms in education. It, it's, it's been very hard for them to reform, thing, reform problems from the bottom up. So they, try to, they keep trying to come from the top down, and, and, um, and they're not always effective. Okay, we, we also have with us Alan Lung, co-convener of the Path of Democracy. Good morning to you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks also for joining us. Uh, so um, a, a lot of these things we're talking about, uh, I mean, all, all of us who've been parents uh, despair at the amount of time that kids play spending, uh, you know, on video games. So limiting that, uh, discouraging the 996 work culture um, and common prosperity, tackling uh, wealth inequality. Uh, th these are all pretty pos positive developments, aren't they? I mean, well, how do you see it? I think one of the things you have to look at, uh, you know, observe, is that uh, China, and now increasingly Hong Kong, is not very good at communication. You know, they're not, you know, there are language system difference. Even when they, every word is in Chinese, even though it's in simplified Chinese, right? that they have a different language code up there. And even in Hong Kong, we speak Chinese, right? But we don't understand what, what they're talking. <laughs> but, you know, it, uh, it translates into English, and then it, it becomes a disaster. My, my understanding of common prosperity, uh, 
and it was explained to me it's slightly different from, you know, this uh, uh, sort of poverty mm. uh, alleviation, alleviation. It's not trying to tackle uh, poverty because they have a very good program using government money, pumping money into uh, the lowest level poverty already. So it's not about poverty. Uh, uh, lowering poverty. My understanding of this term, com common prosperity, is really uh, what, if you like, Silicon Valley or Finland is trying to do. In Silicon Valley, those who know the history, is it has 100 years of history already, and there are very, very many, many, many fabulous rich people, people we don't know their name, but they are they were early stockholders of Microsoft and, or, or something like that. And those people uh, in their own, in the private sector, are investing into new uh, invention. And this is very much the strength of Silicon Valley, which cannot be duplicated anywhere. One way uh, Finland was trying to do it, it's not a new thing, it's, it's been going on for many, many years already, was the old money uh, in Finland is, is, is the uh, pulp and uh, paper industry, you know, forestry industry, mm -hmm. investing in the new industry. Now, it works in, in uh, Silicon Valley because it has so much background and, uh, and history and money around. And the culture of Silicon Valley is there. Uh, Finland has a very high tax rate. The marginal tax rate is something that I don't know. It's seventy percent, so seventy percent or something. So there's no not really incentive to to you know be, to, to to get real rich. Not the case in uh, in uh, Silicon Valley or in Hong yeah, Kong. Yeah, and yet and, and yet and yet fin Finland is <laughs> is a prosperous country, and it uh, f frequently comes out on top of the rankings for you know the the most happy yes. the, 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 you know the happiest I'm not, I'm not, country I'm not to live saying, in. Yeah. I'm not saying Finland is a is a failure. I'm a, I'm saying it's an example of how it's done. Yeah. Old money investing in the, in the new, yeah. and the ATMX, you know Alibaba, Tencent are the in 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 the in the, in the uh, scheme of things are old money already. Mm. There are corrupt cultures within those companies already. You know, you, you know that you read it in the news. That is the old the oldest old money can dominate new sectors because yes, it's got they, the resources. They they are let's say it's what what you know uh, Alibaba well sort of okay. Uh Tencent, if you ask a financial expert uh, who uh, you know the so-called long hair of, of Hong Kong? He says it's it's a game company, so they make money from from games. And Meituan, Meituan, this uh, this newest tech platform, they they actually uh, when they, they they do this group purchasing thing, they cannibalize a lot of local uh, mom and pops pop stores to make profit for for the. This is unfair competition. So mm. this needs to be regulated anyway. Right. And so so is the uh, so is the. I'm I'm not trying to defend China. 
Right. I'm almost talking like like uh, your, your earlier program, money talk. Yes. This is the financial aspect of things. What about the spillover to Hong Kong of these themes? Uh, because the property companies here, the big ones, have been sort of accused of taking over other sectors of the economy as well. So there's some of this is in common. It's true. <laughs> I mean... They say there's a communist party in China and then there's a property party in Hong Kong. I mean, this is sipping into our local Chinese press already, this sort of language. But um, this is not good, you know, the dominance of, of, uh, of uh, property in here, coupled with the inability of government to uh, develop more land is really, really creating some, some real social problem. And I think if, if you, you know, the, your earlier program mentioned Huarong and uh, Evergrande. Evergrande, yes. Yeah. And uh, those are, you know, Huarong is a state-owned company, something like 67% owned by, by uh, the central government or something. Well, while Evergrande is a, a, you know, I think it's just an over-leveraged uh, 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 property company. I mean, the, 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 the over-leveraging or, or far-wrong thing cannot go on forever. It needs to be regulated. So those are signals that, that those are regulations that need to be done. Take another example. The, the uh, biggest listing in the world, Ant Finance, that sort of stopped at the last minute. Yeah. I mean, this thing needs to be stopped. I mean, the, the, this is an uh, unprecedented. There's no such thing as Alipay in the United States or, or Europe. And their, they, you know, their, their, their capital to, uh, to, uh, their, their capital ratio is something like five to ten times of a normal bank. So they're printing money at, at their will. And why was it just regulated by the uh, by the uh, stock regulatory body and not by the cent not by the central bank? But they're printing money, so they had to stop it at, at the last minute. You know, it's, it's something that they cannot sort of learn from other economies to, because those platforms doesn't exist in other economy. So those are the ripple that's that's, that's affecting. The, the, those are the ripple that's beginning to, that, that was the affected Hong Kong stock market. But, you know, this is, if you look at things not purely from the political side and look at from, because you know, it's really money that spins things around economy and money and finance so, and so on. Alan, so, in, in, in essence, you seem to be going back to uh, Professor Cabison's point that this is about the party... Exer exerting its authority to show that it's still in charge. Yeah, um, uh, just jumping to this tutorial and video thing. Uh, let's talk about video game first. I watched a program on uh, France, France 24. Well, I, I cannot watch the French channel. It's in English, France 24. Some commentator, French commentator, said there are similar regulatory things trying to uh, keep kids from addicting to violence and all that sort of thing. And in France, too, because France is also a very centralized uh, place controlled by the central government. So things are happening in, in Europe as well. So when people, when kids spend too much time on, on, uh, on, uh, on uh, 
on video games. I mean, the, the, the government has to regulate it, but it could be like two, three, and two hours a week. And while other places in, in France, they try to control it through other means. Look at this, uh, this uh, 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 tutorial industry, tutorial sector. I mean, uh, if, you knew, if you knew a parent in Beijing or in Shanghai, they are going through hell sending their kids to those tutorial schools. And it's an unfair because thing Because the to, system, because it's all, it's all far too competitive. Yeah, it's too, yeah. too far too competitive. So, but, I mean, in, in, in places, a more normal place like Hong Kong, educated is, education is provided by the states. And if you allow those tutorial companies to list, in particular in, in, in New York or NASDAQ or, or something, they have all the resources to, to suck up all the best teachers. So, you know, the schools doesn't hire good teachers. And where is the fairness or, or, or socialism and this sort of thing? Mm -hmm. So if we look at things from the financial thing and from, a, from a, not purely from a political angle, I'm, I'm sure the uh, Communist Party wants to stay in power and, and keep the leadership and so on. But there's another perspective to it. You know, they, they are not very good at regulatory regime because it's going too fast. They are very, very bad at at, uh, at communication. They're very, very good at mm. propaganda. Mm. I tell you to do this and you do this. Okay, okay. I'm going to have to uh, uh, pause you there, uh, Alan Lung, and our, our other guests. Uh, we've got a break for the news summary at nine o'clock. We'll be back at three minutes past nine, uh, continuing our discussion. Uh, feel free to uh, email us, backchat at rthk.hk. Um, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio three. Quick look at the weather, mainly fine, very hot during the day, top temperature around 33 degrees. Uh, it'll be cloudier later with a few showers, isolated thunderstorms. The outlook a few showers tomorrow, hot with sunny periods in the middle and latter parts of the week, and the very hot weather warning is in effect. It's the first time such an operation, which is only being conducted 20 times worldwide, has been performed in Israel. You're listening to the news on RTHK. to continue our discussion. Um, welcome back to Backchat with uh, Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And we're continuing our discussion about uh, developments um, in the mainland, uh, the concept of common prosperity, things like uh, um, uh, regulation of the tutorial industry, bans on children spending hours playing video games. Um, with us, uh, we have uh, Professor Joseph Gregory Mahoney, who's the director of the International Graduate Programme in Politics at East China Normal University in Shanghai. Um, also, Professor Jean-Pierre Cabestan, uh, research professor at Hong Kong Baptist University, and Alan Lung, co-convener of the Path of Democracy. Um, so, Professor Mahoney, uh, you're in Shanghai. Um, these, um, these, these sort of um, you know, developments that we're seeing at the moment, um, uh, the, from the people that are surrounding you and the people that you talk to, um, you know, what's the feeling? You know, I think that I think that there are two things to note here, and, and the first is uh, I, I published an article in South China Morning Post uh, in, uh, on May fourth, uh, two thousand nineteen, 
the, you know, the 100th anniversary of the May 4th movement, the youth movement on Youth Day and all that. And I think if you, if you read that article, and it's, it, it, the original version cites a lot of government data from, from the Chinese government, you see that a lot of these policies and a lot of these concerns that we, that we see affecting uh, kids, schools, after-school programs, uh, homework, um, trying to uh, address uh, the, the, the number of hours in classrooms, the fact that you know, we saw PISA scores um, uh, uh, reach a peak here uh, several years ago, but they've been declining. And the general perception is, you know, the, the, the beast has been, uh, it's been impossible to, to restrain the beast and really reform. In fact, one of, the, one of the papers that I cited in that article was that uh, since, uh, and, and this was a, a, a 2018 article published at, at Peking University, um, that, uh, that since 1987, there have been 35 major policies uh, implemented by the central government trying to get uh, this reform in place affecting the children in this increasing uh, time in school. And, and even by, by 2019, it was you know, something like 11 hours per day uh, just, for, just in school plus the after-school stuff. So this is an incredible... I, I raised my, my children in Chinese schools in Shanghai. The, the amount of pressure that brought to bear on the children and the parents is incredible. Um, and um, it's, it's really, you know, had a negative effect on a lot of things, people not wanting to have a second child or a third child, which is something that the government's interested in now. Uh, it puts a lot of pressure on marriages. Uh, it, it leads a lot of people not to get married in the first place, not to have children. Um, and it's, you know, it's something that we see that, that has a very clear links to, to, to problems affecting children, uh, uh, increase in suicides, increase in alcohol and drug use, uh, and all of these issues. And again, all these are all things that I quoted in that article in and, 2019, and they're, and they're still valid. Yeah. Also, this emergence of, a, of the lying down generation. Right, the Tongping, uh, the Tongping movement, right, the lying down and you know, they're pushing back against what, you know, they call the, 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 the chopping people like chives or, or the, the, the Nejuan style, right? Uh, you know, dodging the constant pressure uh, that, that people feel. Hmm. Uh, but this is, you know, this is something that, you know, there's this kind of a double-edged sword. On the one hand, everyone recognizes that this is a problem, but, but you know, there's also, <laughs> there's also this concern, and, and, and even though I don't, you don't hear it expresses, but there's you can trace like a lot of the problems that China is having socially. They kind of there's like a time lapse or a time lapse with what the problems that you see in Japan after they had that rapid development after the war, and there's this kind of concern that you're going to end up with something like an otaku culture. You know, people who are just going to be very passively staying at home, living off their parents, living off their grandparents, and not going out there and driving the economy because it was really young people who were risk takers in the early 1980s that, you know, were these major drivers of economic growth. And, you know, the other issue, you know, the, the, the moment, the, 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 the point that was made before that these, like, Tencent and these other major companies are, are, are operating in monopolistic ways, and, and they have. They've really been freezing out uh, small businesses, uh, uh, medium-sized businesses. And this in particular, not just mom and pops, but this has really affected women. You know, women who were already feeling a lot of pressure uh, because of the way the market had discriminated against them since reform and opening up, and they would they would escape this pressure by going into their own businesses. And then when you have delivery services that have 
margins that these, these small uh, businesses can't, uh, um, can't survive on. So much that they're, that they're margin. Mm. Can yeah. I go back to your earlier point? Um, you said the economy, that there are certain issues that need to be addressed, particularly the property market um, distortion, and the economy was strong enough to, to, to handle that at the moment. But some of the indices being reported this morning um, say, are, are raising questions about whether the economic uh, growth is as robust as we thought. There's, there is conflicting data out there, but for, for, for the most part, from what I'm seeing uh, from the sources that I trust, but also sort of the major trading houses, which, you know, sure, we have to discount what they say because they're in the business of attracting money. <laughs> but nevertheless, um, uh, there is some mixed data out there. But when we – there are two points. First, that, that China is in a much more robust position economically than we see other countries at this moment. There is a tremendous amount of influx. And the key point here is that all of these policies can turn on a dime. So if they're not working, um, they can change. Now, it, I agree with the earlier statement that these businesses want, above all, uh, stability, and they want to be able to know how to invest and how to move forward. But uh, if it turns out that in this very volatile moment or period or that, that these aren't going to, to play out well, then they'll be quickly adjusted. And, and let's be clear, a lot of them at this point are just proposals that are being discussed. Um, you know, things like the uh, uh, anti-effeminate uh, uh, thing and, and, you know, oh, yeah. both economic and social, yeah. The girly man reminded me of Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Jim. Uh, okay, uh, I've got an email here from a, um, a, li a listener, Jay, says uh, tutorials are killing the education system in China and Hong Kong. When a, China when, a, when a child goes to school, he should be taught by the teachers. Present situation is we don't know who is teaching the child, the school, the tutor, the domestic helper, the parents. Tutorials should be treated like a doctor. Uh, Wearing, uh, whereas a school gives uh, a reference for the child to go to the tutorial to catch up on his year's education. But also the education bureau is to blame because they have a very bad school curriculum that they cannot uh, fit all the work into the, into the day, which destroys the free time of the child. If the Chinese government can ban Facebook, then surely they can ban computer games, which are destroying the eyes of the children. And Hong Kong should ban violent or sick computer games. Um, uh, Jean-Pierre Cabestan, um, a lot of these measures are um, ostensibly family-friendly, aren't they? I mean, um, doesn't this also, uh, you know, yes. relate to, the, yeah. you know, the, I mentioned before, the 996 work culture of people are expected to work 12 hours a day, six yeah. days a week. They're not going to have much time for, for personal or family life or even to meet other people or form partnerships. Um, I would say yes and no. Uh, yes, because uh, quite a number of people now are against the 996 uh, week uh, promoted by uh, Jack Ma and Alibaba. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the uh, after-class tutorial is uh, tutoring is, is something which is expensive and, 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 and which makes uh, kids uh, very, very tired at the end of the day. Uh, and gaming is an issue. But uh, what I'm, uh, I'm, I'm worried about is, is a lot of parents uh, because of the need of the education system, uh, are going to go around the rules. Uh, and uh, what I see is the, the, if the banning on, on, on after-class tutoring uh, is going to create new inequalities be between the upper middle class who are going to recruit private tutors 
uh, we are going to come home, and the lower middle class won't have the means to uh, recruit private tutors. Now, for gaming, uh, you know, I have a number of friends working in the gaming industry. Um, these rules um, are not going to go anywhere. First of all, because a lot of kids, they can, you know, if you can't game online, you can game with your own console. You can you game at home with other you know, instruments. A lot of kids use their parents' account to game, uh, and uh, they have gaming VPN, so they can game around the world without uh, being uh, subject to these new restrictions. So I'm afraid that these uh, new restrictions on gaming are going to not be very, very efficient. So um, that's, that's the problem with these, you know. And the final issue is, whether uh, it's up to the state or the party state to decide or whether it's up to the parents. Um, in many countries, the uh, responsibility is shouldered by the parents, not by the state. I mean, of course, there are some rules about, uh, you know, uh, which were mentioned earlier by Alan Lung, and, uh, but, but are minimal. Uh, so, but that's, the, 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 in China, those rules seem to be very strict and very intrusive in uh, every family's, uh, you know, right. daily life. And that's what worries me. Uh, There's two big issues actually intertwined. One is whether these rules uh, or guidelines or whatever you want to call them could be enforced at all. And I, I think you've raised a very real question there, that in fact some of them are not capable of being enforced. And then secondly, the will to enforce, even if, if they can be, and what resistance might arise. Yes, I mean, and the same for, for the economy. And uh, I think a lot of local governments are going to resist implementing those rules in order to keep their own economy uh, living and kicking. And, uh, and there was a, a comment made by not long ago, I mean, if I may expand the issue to the whole economic uh, uh, sphere, which uh, was made by a well-known economist, liberal economist based in China called uh, Zhang Weiying. Uh, and he's worried about, you know, the, the risk of pushing too hard this envelope of common prosperity, which is, and, and you know, uh, not le letting people getting rich before because uh, you're going to kill private private uh, entrepreneurship and uh, innovation. Uh, and that's the risk uh, ahead for, 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 for China if they go too far in that campaign and uh, putting too much pressure on the uh, on the, on, on the, on the uh, companies. It doesn't mean that those tech companies don't need to be regulated. And I fully agree with what uh, the previous speakers said. I mean, there, there is a need for regulation because Alipay was creating a bank without taking the risks, you know, shouldering the risks, <laughs> having a bank, and that couldn't go anywhere. So they, they need to be regulated. But at the same time, uh, and I think the party state is not uh, the party state of the time of Mao, uh, they need to negotiate with all those businesses. And what has been going on since October last year has been a, a daily negotiation with Alibaba. And which is interesting is that not all the cards are in the hands of Xi Jinping, actually, because he's uh, not, not in a position to, uh, to kill Alipay. So many Chinese are dependent upon Alipay on a daily life, you know, daily basis, that he needs to sort of find a way to, to, to negotiate a deal and, 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 and compromise as well. So. So it, now that you have private businesses and private entrepreneurs in China, the game has changed because those private entrepreneurs are tempted to to play not a direct political role, but to have an impact on, on public policies. And that opened the game. You have more lucky of power, power lucky in China, center powers, power centers in China. And that makes it, the, 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 the situation much more difficult for the Communist Party. 
OK, we've had a pretty wide-ranging uh, conversation about what's been going on uh, in the mainland. Um, uh, perhaps, um, Alan Lung, um, if I could ask you, um, what implications do you think there are for Hong Kong? In implications? Uh, yeah. we're, one we're one country, two system. <laughs> yes, yeah, but, 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 but I mean, obviously we're dependent, or we're, we're, we're very much dependent let's on mainland China for, for, for ec in e economic matters and so on. So, let's yeah. hope it doesn't still over. Some of the spirit, Alan, some of the spirit of, of this, in a sense, has affected Hong Kong politics for some time, hasn't it? People have been, it, it, it may manifest itself in a different way in Hong Kong, but people do point to those big conglomerates seizing control of large areas of the economy outside their original profit profitability area? I think the, uh, the, uh, the, big, the ATM and so on doesn't have really big business in, in Hong Kong. The, the dominant pay, electronic payment system is, in Hong Kong is still an octopus. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, there will be spillover effect, but restricted to the stock market only. But, you know, the spirit of regulation is about transparency, it's about predictability, all those things. We hope we can keep it. And let's hope that, that our ways of doing things, they can, they, they can, you know, mainland can sort of learn from Hong Kong on how things are done more softly. There's a, there's a very interesting comment from, uh, from this past 24 program. You uh, said that uh, French government Sorry, carry on, carry on, Alan. Yeah. The French government are trying to, uh, to, uh, to uh, do the, almost do the same regulatory things on the gaming, too. But this commentator said, but, you know, China has, has their own way. They, they have a more effective, quote-unquote, system, meaning that the Communist Party can stick their, their fingers into everything. But, you know, it's, it's just... The way it's done up there, there is not a lot of transparency, not a lot, not a lot of predictability that that's sort of upsetting people, and including investors and Hong Kong, you know, average citizen and so on. They could improve, but you know, what could we do? Hey. Hello. Sorry, who did we lose? <laughs> Just I, I don't. I'm still here. I'm still here. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, pr Professor Mahoney. Yes. Uh, okay. Um, so, I mean, I mean, do you have any insight from where you are about what uh, what effect these changes might have uh, on Hong Kong, where we are? Not really. You know, I, I think that um, um, I, I do think that there is uh, going to be. In Hong Kong, as well as some other places, we're going to see a backlash. There are going to be those people who are going to be uh, opposing anything that comes out of Beijing. Um, and there are going to be people who are rightly going to question whether or not it's going to roll downhill and, and hit Hong Kong. Um, I haven't seen any, anyone really talking about this yet. And, and my sense is that, that you know, the, the problems in Hong Kong are well-known, and, and they have some similarity with some of the problems in China. But when you look at, you know, for example, with, with the, the, the problem with gaming and the, and the after-school education, all of this is rooted in the inability to reform the Gaokao, and then how that affects the Zhongkao, and how that affects everyone from kindergarten on the way up. Uh, so 
uh, that's the big elephant in the room that no one's ever has been really been able to deal with, um, despite trying to do so again and again. And and the earlier comment about you know people are going to find ways to circumvent this, whether it's getting around the gaming thing. My, my children are working desperately hard right now to figure that one out. Um, <laughs> Uh, but the, the bottom line is, uh, I, I think that the, that the, the, the differences between Hong Kong and China—not just the one country, two system differences—but the actually the, the actual rooted uh, differences of the problems um, mean that that we won't see similar solutions. But you might see some local spirit, as it was expressed, uh, picking up on this because this is this isn't a problem that is uh, as, as was noted. This is a problem in France. It's a problem. Uh, to a certain extent in, in other parts of Europe, the United States. And so there's there's sort of a global reckoning right now to try to find ways to deal with this. And, uh, you know, China taking the lead is going to, to put some fear into people. I mean, we see conservatives in the United States now, you know, uh, they hate China, but, oh, my God, they love some of these proposals. <laughs> and so, you know, this, this idea that, you know, we need to compete um, and try to figure out something similar for, for some of our problems here. Okay. Well, you, know, you might find something like that happening yeah. in Hong Kong as well. Well, thank you very much for your input this morning. Uh, um, um, very good to speak to you all. Uh, Professor Joseph Gregory Mahoney, who you heard there, who's Director of the International Graduate Programme in Politics at East China Normal University in Shanghai. Uh, also, thank you to Professor Jean-Pierre Cabestan, a Research Professor at Hong Kong Baptist University. And thanks to Alan Leung, co-convener of the Path of Democracy. And uh, for the last uh, section of this programme, we're going to turn to our short topic, uh, which is the uh, Paralympic Games, which have just uh, finished in Tokyo. And we're, we're joined on the line by, um, uh, 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 sorry, uh, Patrick Lau, who's Professor at the Department of Sport, uh, Physical Education and Health, uh, also at uh, Hong Kong Baptist University. Um, uh, Professor Lau, good morning to you. Yeah, good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, so okay. what did you think of the performance of our, our Hong Kong uh, Paralympic team this year? I think they're doing quite well because uh, although the medal, um, we got only five, a little bit less than last year, but when we look at the performance among the countries and regions, they did um, improve a lot. So we are doing well, but other countries, they advance uh, quickly to catch us up. Yeah. Adam, Adam, good morning, Professor Lau. At, at a macro level, the holding of the Paralympics at this time was in itself quite, a, quite an achievement, wasn't it? Yes, it does. Because um, when we look at the supportive environment uh, in Japan and also in Hong Kong, I think we, 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 we increased the, the support to the disabled athletes. But, of course, when we compare the financial support uh, or the individual uh, money, this is still a big difference between the able and the disabled athletes. Yeah, well, I mean, at a time when the world is grappling with the pandemic, where there are big questions about whether the economy is recovering, the fact that so many uh, billions of dollars went into the to sport for the disabled was, I would have thought, reflects well on us. Yes, yes, definitely yes. Because when we try to host the disabled uh, Paralympic uh, Games, that is much more difficult when we compare to the uh, Summer Olympics for the able athletes. This is for sure. And this year we have also much more uh, attention paid 
to the uh, uh, populations in the shopping mall and in Hong Kong publics. I think it's a it's a significant achievement this time. Yeah, because we had a, a, a really excellent uh, regular Olympics. Uh, so do you think that uh, that inspired the public uh, to follow the Paralympics more closely? Yes, definitely, because uh, I would say before this time, we seldom have the opportunity to watch the games. And then the public can learn more about the, the stories, the, the classification and the competence uh, performed by those disabled athletes. They are actually super when you compare to the so-called able athletes. Mm. If, you, if you look at those uh, wheelchair badminton players like Hong Kong, uh, Daniel Chan, uh, how they monitor the wheelchair on the half court of the badminton, how they judge it, how they hit it. And, and it's unbelievable. They're, they're superhuman. So that will produce a, another angle that we appreciate the challenges posted uh, through the sport. And, and then we also learn the, the, the individual stories that uh, bring them up. I, I think this is very touching and very encouraging. Will, you, you, will there be, you think, uh, an effect outside sport in the sense that people having seen this and i agree uh, anecdotally much more widely than maybe previous paralympics people will be more sympathetic now in the in the employment environment and things like access to buildings um and and other facilities in general sense i would say so but actually when if you look at the athletes they don't want to be like that they don't want to be sympathetic they want to uh, let us know, for example, one of the interviewees of the female athletes in Hong Kong, they say, if we can do it, you can do it. I think this kind of spirit is actually uh, more important than the, the sympathetic environment. Of course, uh, I think the government will, will be alert for those uh, assets for facilities, yes. Like you say, there are, there are special uh, challenges that uh, Paralympic athletes uh, face. Um, how, do, how do you think um, Tokyo uh, handled the Paralympic Games this time? I think they are doing their best. Um, the pandemic, uh, nobody can, can predict that. Uh, of course, they, they are, there's always many more things they can do better. But at the end, if, if we look at the outcome, I think they have been doing their best to avoid uh, such a, a traffic accidents they post in the beginning of the game. I think uh, um, we should look at their best uh, better side and it would be a le learning lesson for the coming years. I think, yeah, it's a good example. Now, uh, well done, of course, to all the well, well to the to the five uh, medal winners and to all the um, the athletes taking part. Um, but as, as you as you mentioned, the the, the five medal hall was um, slightly less than the previous occasion in Rio. Um, how do we get prepared for the next Paralympics? And uh, is there any particular area that you think we should be focusing on? Uh, you know, especially if we want to, you know, improve the medal total. Yes, definitely. When we look at in a deeper sense of the core of the course about the medal winning record. Actually, this is not, uh, um, I, I believe we should look into the population we have, uh, from the disabled. Uh, actually, this is a good news cause the, to the, to the situation right now. The good news is, uh, through the medical system, we can avoid and prevent that kind of, uh, um, disease before the baby is born. So we have much less the uh, uh, disabled babies. On the other hand, the the system in Hong Kong, we are doing better, so uh, less car accidents, less other accidents. 
to to increase the disabled population. So right now, the problem of Hong Kong facing uh, cost to the medal winning record is lower. Is we have to bring up the limited population of the disabled, and then how we can identify and nurture the potential athletes from this smaller and smaller population. Okay. So, yeah, this is something we need to look into for the Paris and the future Paralympics. Okay, okay, yes, of course, yeah, the next uh, Olympics and Paralympics in Paris, of course, in 2024. Okay, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Patrick Lau there, Professor in the Department of Sport, Physical Education and Health at the Baptist University. And uh, we're running out of time, but um, before we go, uh, uh, a few emails on other topics. Uh, This one from... uh, John writes, uh, good morning. I refer to Peter Lewis's interview with the Secretary for Commerce and Economic Development, Edward Yao, on last Friday's Money Talk. Despite Peter's valiant efforts to elicit answers from uh, uh, Mr Yao on the government's COVID strategy, the Secretary, very disappointingly, failed to provide a roadmap for reopening the economy. As most medical and finance experts have commented, a zero COVID strategy is an unsustainable model. Indeed, uh, an editorial piece in today's Financial Times entitled The Great Divide Over Living with the Virus highlights this very topic. Many of the world's largest developed markets, such as the US and Western European nations, have largely reopened, having accepted to live with the virus. In the Asia-Pacific region, New Zealand, Australia and notably Singapore, our key competitor as Asia's main commercial hub, are pivoting away from their previous COVID stances. Um, That's from... uh, uh, John goes on for uh, a bit longer, but um, like I say, we're we're short of time. Um, This one... CW writes, uh, the greedy taxi license owners need urgent review. Market value of a license is approximately uh, 6 million Hong Kong dollars. Who owns them? Conflict of interest. Talk about lack of competition. Needs urgently addressing. Um, Leon says that an investigation by Sunday's South China Morning Post shows that several bars and clubs are failing to comply with uh, government COVID rules to inspect patrons' Vax records. These venues should be heavily penalised. A slap on the wrist, such as a small fine, isn't enough. Their operations should be suspended, say, for a couple of weeks, similar to the manner in which government is penalising airlines, which are allowing infected passengers to fly into Hong Kong. And uh, Bob writes, uh, well, not exactly cryptically, but the uh, uh, full of question marks and the Subject, just line line is uh, Freemasonry Hong Kong. I think uh, Bob has written before suggesting that we do a programme on Freemasonry. What about that, Mike? Well, I don't know. I'm not a Freemason, so... <laughs> no, there are uh, very interesting. Yeah. I, I must say the, the story about the club's enforcement, yeah. I, I found quite alarming. Um, and dismiss- people producing the vaccination certificates of other people. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, confessing yeah. that they yeah. themselves are not vaccinated. Copies and screenshots and yep. things like that. Yep. So, so, uh, yeah. I think we got mm. short, sharp shock. Right. Three months or six months in, in the pokey okay. and a compulsory okay. vaccination. Right. Should put you in charge. <laughs> All right. Uh, quick look at the weather before we go. It's going to be mainly fine. Um, very hot during the day with a top temperature of around uh, 33 degrees. Uh, cloudier later with a few showers, isolated thunderstorms. The outlook a few showers tomorrow. Hot with sunny periods in the middle and latter part of this week. It's currently 30 degrees, humidity 76%. The very hot weather warning is in effect.
elderly are at high risk of life-threatening conditions from COVID-19. The virus can damage one's heart, lungs, and brain. It may cause multiple organ failure that requires intubation in an ICU. After effects can hamper a recovery. Vaccines reduce risks of serious illness, hospitalization, and death. Experts advise that any elderly person who has had a flu shot can safely receive COVID-19 vaccines. Get vaccinated early. Now the news summary with Todd Harding. The parent company of defunct newspaper Apple Daily has announced that all of its directors have resigned. The directors of Next Digital say they have concluded that an orderly liquidation would serve the best interests of shareholders, creditors, staff and other stakeholders. The head of the Hong Kong delegation to the Tokyo Paralympics says it's hard to compare the prize money awarded to Paralympic medal winners and Olympians. Botcher athlete Leung Yuk Wing said his silver medal will silver medal winning team in the mixed pair BC4 event would have to share an $800,000 award while Olympic medalists got up to $5 million. And Football World Cup qualifying match between Brazil and Argentina has been stopped minutes after kickoff following an intervention on the pitch by Brazilian health officials. They accused four Argentine players of having broken Brazil's COVID quarantine rules. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. 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 How are you? Not too bad at all. Good morning. Hello. You never Facebook chat with me, Phil. Good morning. He's got the Tom and Jerry type violence. It's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zing. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Very good morning to you. Welcome back. It's Monday and this is The Morning Brew. Well, in just a few minutes from now, Danny Hicks with his final Olympics report live from Tokyo. The 2020 Paralympics is now over with Hong Kong bagging five medals. It has been an amazing two months for Hong Kong's athletes, as Danny will remind you. 10-10, it's rugby time, of course, with that man and Hong Kong rugby's CEO, Robbie McRobbie. At 10.40, New York correspondent Tracy Kwan will be with us. And as you know, New York suffered the effects of a huge hurricane in the last week with flash floods, even drownings in New Jersey. Tracy's going to talk about Hurricane Ida. 